Today's reading is going to come from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry as we have received it, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Sends the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Before we look to God's word, let's go before him in prayer once again. Heavenly Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit would use the, the light of your word to illumine our hearts and minds to your glory. The glory that is revealed in Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Open our ears to hear him and in turn strengthen our faith. In his name we pray. Amen. By way of review, the church in Corinth has been listening to false apostles. Phony apostles, false teachers who opposed the apostle Paul. They questioned his trustworthiness as well as his apostleship. Paul began um, his letter, chapter one, uh, by talking about how his affliction was for their comfort as well as their salvation. In chapter 2, he describes his apostolic ministry as being like a captive conquered, now gladly serving as a slave to his new master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Paul begins chapter 3 by saying that um, the authenticity of his ministry, false apostles came with letters of commendation, phony letters of recommendation. He said, my letter is not written with ink, but is written on human hearts. He said, you are our letter, written in your hearts, known and read by all men. I've said before that 2 Corinthians is the most transparent of all Paul's epistles regarding his view of ministry. You see how hard, challenging, and unrewarding it often was. Instead of receiving applause, he got criticism, slander, and scorn. 
over and over again. Yet when Paul came to the end of his life, as we know from the testimony he gives in his last epistle, 2 Timothy, it was a victorious end. He says there in his last letter, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That is to say, in the end, the man was battered, but unyielding. Standing loyal to the Lord at the finish line with no crowds hailing his faithfulness. As a matter of fact, all who were in Asia, says Paul, had forsaken him. And Demas, you remember Demas, who was by my side, having loved this present world, has departed from me. Rewind from 2 Timothy 10 or 12 years earlier, that lands us here in 2 Corinthians where false teachers had infiltrated the church in Corinth, the church that Paul planted, criticizing him, suggesting that neither he nor his ministry was blessed by God due to all the difficulties the man experienced. I mean, you're not living the higher life, Paul. Where's God's hand of blessing in your life? No health, wealth, and prosperity in his life. Why do you insist on following the man? Corinthians. So in, rep- in response, Paul um, describes two, true ministry as a, a very um, humble thing. That's the form that true ministry takes. It's humility in serving the Lord. Willing as he was to spend and to be spent. He was battling Judaizers who were advocating the Mosaic ceremonies as necessary components for salvation. He concluded last time, if you were with us, with how new covenant ministry far exceeds old covenant ministry, secured as it was by Jesus Christ's death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. Fulfilled. The old has been fulfilled. In Christ, bringing us to our text this morning, Paul now turns to the topic of discouragement. Discouragement. As Christians, um, no doubt, there are many things that can bring discouragement to our journey through this life, as short as it is. There are many things that can tempt us to lose heart. Title of the message, we do not lose heart. Consider a young believer who experiences persecution for the first time. They grow up in a Christian home, perhaps they're homeschooled, they're surrounded by Christians, they come to a great church, surrounded by great people, sinners saved by grace. They go out and they're persecuted. 
for their faith in Jesus Christ. Consider the Christian college student who for the first time is bombarded with scorn of some punk pagan professor sitting in the seat of the scorner for the first time. Consider Christian parents who've raised and discipled discipled their child in Christ, praying over them for years, who have their hearts broken to see that child apostatize. Apostatize means to walk away from a once professed faith in Jesus Christ. People that you pour into, that you disciple, and you think that they are so excelling in the faith You would look at one and you would say, if there is one godly person who will rise to the top as a servant of Jesus Christ to become a teacher, perhaps a preacher or a missionary, it's that one. And suddenly, they're gone. No more. I was talking with Matthew Allen about two weeks ago. And he had come into contact with some friends that he had grown up with. They went to church together. He said, there are two guys that you would never, ever have thought for a moment would apostatize. And today, they deny Christ. That is the reality of ministry. Of service, whether it's one-on-one or corporate Ministry in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here, the Apostle Paul teaches us why he could say, we do not lose heart. Okay, Paul is not some novice who just got out of seminary, disillusioned and bummed out at his first assignment, realizing that sheep have teeth and bite. This is Paul the true apostle of Jesus Christ. And he says, we do not lose heart. To lose heart means to become weary, tired. It means to despair, to collapse, to defect. To defect from a once professed faith. The truly regenerate cannot defect. They went out from us because they were never of us. For had they been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out from us, proving they were never of us. 1 John 2. The average tenure of most American pastors is three years. Three years. You serve, you labor, uh, you you pour your heart out. Uh, What do you get in return? backbiting, sarcasm, opposition, and rejection. Therefore, it's very easy to become discouraged, and the temptation is to lose heart. Throughout 2 Corinthians, Paul describes his life and ministry as follows. 
all from 2 Corinthians, as being afflicted, as being burdened, as being beyond strength, as an anguish of heart, as tearful, as sorrowful, as having no rest for our spirits, where there is conflicts without and fears within, just to name a few. He was a man in deep pain, deep pain, and yet he never lost heart in ministry. That is astonishing. This entire section is bracketed by that statement. We do not lose heart. We see it in verse 1, which shows up again in verse 16. That is, in spite of the rejection he experiences, verses 1 through 6, the sufferings he must endure, verses 7 through 15, and the death that he faces in verses 16 to 18, Paul still does not lose heart. How? How does he not lose heart? You know, coming to the point where he says, I give up. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm tired of the lack of results. I'm so down. I'm so burned out. I'm done with it. I throw in the towel. Paul says, we do not lose heart. We do not defect since we have this ministry. Verse 1. Look at it. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. Question, what, what ministry? What is the therefore, therefore? Therefore, we do not. Therefore, we have this ministry and do not. We have to back up to chapter 3 and verse 18. But we all with unveiled face... Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Therefore, since we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. What ministry? Chapter 3, the new covenant ministry, which far outshines the old. The sign that Paul has received mercy from God. He's been given this ministry. It's the sign that you've received mercy from God. You are now a new covenant minister. A royal priesthood. And the image that believers are being transformed into is none other than the image of the last Adam. The resurrected, ascended Lord Jesus Christ. We do not lose heart. Friends, his great mercy towards us is that Christ has provided his church with true gospel ministry so that his people will not lose heart. True gospel ministry. Chapter 3. New Covenant ministry is, by way of reminder, of the spirit that gives life. It's the ministry of righteousness. It is the ministry of unfading glory. It is the ministry of the new exodus fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It is a ministry that imparts boldness and courage to those who receive it. Look at chapter 3, verse 4. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves, 
to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who has also made us adequate as servants of a, of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life, boldness, confident trust. Now, we are shown here in verses 1 through 6, that's our focus today, that true gospel ministry, okay, three things. True gospel ministry, first, is faithful to the word of God. If you're listening and you're not part, I know some of you all tune in who go to churches that don't preach the gospel. I know that. I want to encourage you to listen to this. So in your, your search for, for a, a true gospel-centered church, the first thing you want to look for is a ministry that is faithful to the word of God, number one. It proclaims the son of God, number two. And number three, it reveals the glory of God. It does not mean that if you're faithful to the word of God and faithful to proclaiming the son of God that reveals the glory of God that every hearer will believe. So, do not lose heart. So let's look at it. Number one, true gospel ministry is faithful to the word of God. Notice Paul does not say, therefore we have the Corinthians. Did you notice that? If you would have gone to the church of Corinth and looked around with all the sin going on and all the rebellion, people suing one another, fornication going on within the congregation, um, 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 dishonoring the Lord's table, you would say, man, who planted this place? The answer, uh, the apostle Paul. He does not say we have the Corinthians, but we have this ministry. This ministry, he will say in in verse 7, is a treasure, right? It's this treasure in earth, earthen vessels, in clay pots. What did you use clay pots for earthen vessels in the first century? As a toilet for human waste. And within these earthen vessels is a treasure. That which is ultimate is the message. It's not the people, it's not the place, but the message, the new covenant message. That's the treasure. So in effect, Paul, he can say, look, you can oppose me, ridicule, mock, undermine me. But when it's all said and done, I do not lose heart because what I have received is the ministry of the new covenant. The revelation of God in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is ultimate, not you. Isn't it great? Far too many ministers today are not faithful to the word of God because they want to please man. When you're focused on man rather than the message, which is God's message, you will inevitably be tempted to try and control the aroma of the gospel, which to most is like a stench of a corpse. Remember chapter 2? To those who are perishing, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ is an aroma from death to death. 
to those being saved in aroma from life to life. I've said before, don't mess with the aroma. Preacher. Verse 2. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, or as the ESV has it, I think it's better, renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We're not walking in craftiness or adulterating, that is tampering with the word of God. Referring to the shameful methods of the false teachers, the so-called super apostles, or uh, the most eminent ones, as Paul sarcastically refers to them as, who were crafty. They were underhanded. They were tampering with the word of God. Literally, it says they were watering it down. It is a word used to describe merchants back in this day who would water down or dilute wine in order to underhandedly increase their profit. And these false teachers were doing that very thing with the gospel. Diluting the message to make it more appealing, more palatable, less offensive in order to increase their numbers. They were, as Paul refers to them in chapter 2 and verse 17, they were peddling the word of God. They were tampering with, manipulating the truth, reshaping it to make it fit. To use it in a way to bring either financial gain or ministerial fame. Most likely, they had adopted um, the practices of popular orators of the day who would travel from city to city, um, the sophists and the um, philosophers. Um, sophists in this day were more like our motivational speakers or you know, self-help gurus, you know, the Tony Robbins and the Oprahs of our day. Fools. Or the philosophers who would travel about. They would be something like our political talk show hosts who have gained a large following speaking of law, culture, and politics. So the goal of the rhetorician was to spend time in very strategic cities, none more strategic than Corinth in this day, um, gain a large following and, um, learn, and earn some money. Very lucrative business. And whoever had the largest crowd with regard to these orators must be speaking the truth. That's what we do in our day. We look out, where's the largest church? They must be telling the truth because there's so many people attending. Rarely. Typically, they're telling people what they want to hear, not what they need to hear, because when you hear what you need to hear, most people will exit the building. The preacher's purpose in faithful gospel ministry is to feed the sheep, not entertain the goats. Witness? That is why Paul says here, we have renounced, 
We have renounced these shameful, underhanded ways, and we refuse to water down and adulterate the message, which is most important. We refuse. Now, that's very scary, considering what Paul says, again, back in chapter 2 and verse 17, in contrast with those who peddle the word of God, he went on to say this, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Paul was painfully aware, I believe, of Judgment Day and the fact that he really preached before the audience of one. One. I really don't care what you all think when it comes to preaching because I'm standing before God preaching his word to his people. So it really doesn't matter. I don't want to personally offend. If the word offends, I do not care. A faithful gospel ministry will openly and unashamedly declare the truth. It's not being double-tongued, saying one thing in private, teaching something else in public. It's not skirting hard truth. The man is willing for what he says to be examined, weighed, and evaluated because he knows he's preaching in the sight of God. And as a matter of fact, we all live quorum Deo. Every one of us, we live before the face of God, the God before whom we will one day stand and give an account. One day I will stand and give an account, every preacher will, for how he handled God's word, his message. This is what Paul says to the Corinthians who were doubting his authority and his apostleship. So regardless of whether you're like me or not, says the apostle, and regardless of whether or not the message is a stench, matters not. We have this ministry by the mercy of God. Therefore, we do not lose what? Heart. It's his message. Verse 2b. By the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. There it is again, in the sight of God. In other words, there is integrity in my ministry, says the Apostle Paul. Every time I spoke or wrote, I was speaking the truth, and you know it. That's what he's saying. We haven't been trying to fleece the sheep. You know it. We're not trying to trick. We're not trying to manipulate. As a matter of fact, if we could shine a light into your conscience, it would commend us as servants of truth as well. You know it deep down. That's what he's saying. You might not like it, but you know it's truth. It's the message. There's a lot of tampering with the word of God today. Just as there was in Corinth. A lot of effort is spent by churches trying to be successful by, by world, the world standards. It's a dangerous thing to do. That's what, that's what the super apostles were doing. People gather in popular places today, just as they did in Paul's day, and they want to self 
help type of message, cultural transformation message, pop psychology message, social issues message, not Christ crucified, raised again, and someday I'll be raised as well. No, man, you got to give me something more practical than that. That's what the world says. That's what people who think they're Christians say. I need something more practical. There's nothing more practical than that. Nothing more needed than that. So when you can say what Paul says in verse 2b, especially as a preacher, you know, whether a person loves you, whether a person hates you, writes you a nasty letter, or leaves the church and then badmouths you behind your back, it doesn't matter. The truth commends the conscience, period. And that, Paul says, is the anchor that keeps you from losing heart. That's God's message. New covenant ministry. So the gospel ministry, number one, is faithful to the word of God. Number two, it proclaims the son of God. There is no other message. He's the content of the message. Are you with me? The content of the message is always Christ, the person and work of Jesus, who is the Christ. In other words, the gospel. The revelation of God. Genesis through revelation. It's clear as day in verse four. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Look, sermons about do these things, be a better spouse, be a better parent, be a better sibling, be more socially, culturally, racially aware, and there is no mention about how Christ is the solution to our sin, newsflash, it is not a Christian message. If I went to the Jewish day school over here and preached out of Exodus and didn't get to Christ, I didn't preach the gospel. If I could go preach over there and they applauded me on the way out, I did not preach the gospel because they'd reject Jesus Christ. Understand what I'm saying? Vital. Paul said in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 2, verse 1, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. No, I, I determined to know, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the message. And then fill in the blanks. Fill in everything in between with Christ and him crucified. Because God's word as a whole Genesis to Revelation records the unfolding of redemptive history, revealing Jesus as the promised one, the son of the living God who comes to rescue helpless sinners so that we might place our trust in him. That message. He is the word who became incarnate. He is the climax of God's revelation. You preach Christ. Now, keep in mind, as we move on, keep in mind, this passage explains how Paul, in the ministry, was able to persevere in the midst of so much difficulty and opposition in order not to lose heart, okay? Not losing heart, okay? Keep that in mind as we move on, verse 3. And 
even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Now he picks up that language of veiling from chapter 3. The gospel is veiled to some, those who are perishing, those who are headed toward eschatological ruin. Let me be clear about what that is. Everlasting torment in hell. They're perishing. Those who do not see, notice, the glory of Christ in the gospel. Verse 4, in whose case, those who are perishing, in whose case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They don't realize that Christ represents all God is, that is God incarnate. He, Colossians 1.15, is the image of the invisible God. Faithful ministries preach the Son of God. Faithful gospel ministries. Now, friends, okay, very important. Notice, they're not blinded because they choose to renounce the gospel. Okay? Let me say it again. They are not blinded because they choose to renounce the gospel. They choose to renounce the gospel because they're blind. Okay? They're not blind because they choose to be so. But it's Satan who has made them so. The God of this age is Satan. He has blinded them. Okay, by the way, Paul is not teaching some form of dualism. Is there dueling gods, you know, God, our God with the big G, and, you know, the Satan with the small G, who has just as much power as the Almighty, and they're dueling, you know, for the souls of men and women. No. Satan's work is and always has been subordinate to, subject to, the ab absolute, sovereignly decreed will of God. Period. The devil, Luther said, is God's devil. Romans 11:36, for from him and through him and to him are what things? All things. All means all. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Now, those who are perishing, verse 3, do so, if they perish eternally, they perish because God leaves them in their blinded state, cut off from his glory and without the power they need to escape Satan's reign over their lives. And that's otherwise known as regener regeneration, the supernatural work of God to save a sinner and, and, and lift the veil. That's what we see. Okay, how can that, Verses three and four. <laughs> Be a reason for not losing heart in the ministry. The answer, Paul explains that there is a much bigger reality going on than meets the eye. Much greater. That is, the battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Unforn, un, uh, unseen forces of evil in heavenly places. Spiritual warfare. 
That's why. There are people to whom the gospel is veiled who go to church every single Sunday and they love the super apostles' message of health, wealth, and self-esteem. They eat it up every week and they're still blind to the truth of Christ. There's a reason that Joel Osteen's books are sold in airports and not R.C. Sproul, Sinclair Ferguson, or John MacArthur's books. The reason? He doesn't preach the gospel. If he did, they wouldn't be on sale in airports. To the world, the true gospel of Jesus Christ is irrelevant It's incredibly offensive, and no one is naturally drawn to truth. It takes the supernatural work of God to cause one who's blind to embrace the truth. Yes, thank you, finally. You know, a typical garden variety American evangelical may visit one that doesn't preach the gospel, may visit a true gospel ministry that's faithful to the word of God, faithfully proclaiming the son of God, and yet, you know how most of them respond? You use words and say things I don't understand. Doctrine this, doctrine that, always saying things that make no sense. Why? Because they can't see. They don't have ears to hear. Paul says, we have this ministry, it's the message. So we do not lose heart because if they're blind, they're blinded by Satan. The only thing that will lift the veil is faithfulness to the message. So don't change the message. Does it not make sense? It's clear as day. See, most who go to churches that don't preach the whole counsel of God, the truth of the gospel, they believe things like, you know, God loves everyone unconditionally. True or false? False. Salvific love, the salvific love of God is conditioned upon the son of God. So he can't love unconditionally. It's all conditioned in his son. God loves you and has a plan for your life. Oh, he's got a plan for your life, all right. Repent and believe or you will perish. So while the gospel is veiled to some, Paul says this, that is not a sign that my ministry is deficient. That is not a sign that there's deficiency in your day-to-day gospel ministry, but it simply shows us the reality that there are those who are being saved and those who are perishing and nothing in between. Are you encouraged? You're preaching the gospel and they don't believe. Be encouraged. It's the message, not the people. God will save people only through his sound message. And he says there's something much bigger going on than earthly popularity and numbers. It's an unseen battle. So people who are blind to the glory of God in Jesus Christ 
who is the very image of God, we read, does not in any way tarnish the message by the fact that they remain blind. As a matter of fact, it's an indictment against those who don't believe. You have no power to do anything about it. You just proclaim the truth. And again, the world will say, this is so impractical. That gospel you keep talking about is so impractical. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. If it works for you as your form of therapy, that's great. The reason it doesn't work for them is because they can't see. You know, Calvin said, the sun is no less bright because blind men don't perceive its light. Yeah. It takes the power of God to give sight to the blind. So be faithful to the message, he says. That's what we're all about, says the Apostle Paul, in contrast to the false apostles who are preaching a first century version of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. That's it. Friends, this was our condition before we were graced to see. We just, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. Once was lost, but now I'm found. Blind, but now I see. All by the grace of God. You had nothing to do with it. Nothing. What, what did you bring to the table with regard to salvation? One thing, your sin. That's it. It's truly grace that lifts the veil. You know, we may think we're autonomous creatures, human beings, but we're not. We're slaves to sin and blind to the truth of Christ. Naturally. Only the gospel has the power to liberate sinners by the power of the Holy Spirit. So his argument is, it's all about the message. We do not have the power to remove the veil. So how does that encourage you? How does that encourage me not to lose heart? Well, quite simply, it enables us to realize that ultimately the results are in God's hands. Right here. Far beyond our ability. So if you don't understand that, you're going to be shocked day after day that people are shooting at you so to speak. You're going to be shocked, dismayed as a minister of the gospel to these people, okay, whether it's your neighbor, a co-worker, adults, children, perhaps your own children. You'll be discouraged unless you realize there's a cosmic reality behind unbelief. They're blinded by the God of this age. You'll be discouraged over and over again, thinking, why do they keep acting like I'm the enemy? Why don't they like me? Why don't they just believe? Because there's an invisible barrier at work. It's that simple. So don't lose heart. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Verse 5. For, okay, preaching Christ, faithful to the word, faithful to preaching the Son of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. The super apostles preach themselves. Preachers today who, who tell a lot of stories, and they're always the hero of their own story, preach themselves. Preachers who preach their own opinions about whatever it may be and violate scripture is a way to preach yourself. 
Paul says, look, this is another reason we do not lose heart. We don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ. You know what we say to encourage Christians when, when you evangelize and you get to the hard truths that, um, you know, uh, with all due respect, I love you and all, but, you know, you believe that all roads lead to God so far as you're sincere. Jesus said he's the only way to the Father, and if you believe what you believe, you'll go to hell because God demands absolute holy perfection, and he provides the substitute, and there's only one. And if they say, well, I can't believe you would say that to me, say, look, I always say, blame it on Jesus. Because he's the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Blame it on him. It's his truth. He's the one who declared to be the only way. I've just been graced to believe it. That message is an assault and insult to the, multi, the multicultural worldview that the majority today hold to. Pluralism. You can say that you believe in Jesus so long it's, as, as you, you, you maintain it in the context of your opinion. But the moment that you attach Lord to Jesus the Christ... You've just offended every unbeliever. He is Lord. The moment you bring up lordship, that is with regard to Jesus the Christ, in that conversation, you have now crossed the line of political correctness and religious etiquette in their minds. Are you with me? We preach Jesus Christ as Lord. And then that demolishes all the gods of this age. Paul says we preach Christ. New covenant ministry of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we do not lose heart. And remember, Paul preached that message unapologetically in a culture much worse than ours. You know, I think we think this is the worst culture ever. Hardly. You don't know history. Now, we're moving in that direction more swiftly year after year, but don't think we live in the worst, worst times ever known to man because we do not. Nothing compared to what the Apostle Paul went through and what he had to face. That'll encourage you. It's not as bad. Amen? Americans, we just think everything is focused, the light's always on us. I said a few weeks ago with regard to uh, um, uh, prejudice, which is a great sin. You know, we have a tendency to think, well, this is the most prejudiced society known to man. You don't know history. And I brought up the ancient Assyrians, ancient Assyrians, i.e. the Ninevites, and the atrocities they committed, you wouldn't even want to read it in print what they used to do to those that they hated. So let us not put the focus on us and our culture. Let's just go preach the same truth Paul preached regardless of what age in which we live. Amen? It is only through a faithful new covenant gospel ministry that preaches faithfully the Son of God 
Jesus Christ and him crucified, raised again, that anyone will ever possibly believe and be saved. So don't mess with the message is what he says. Therefore, number three, the gospel ministry, true gospel ministry, reveals the glory of God. What happens in conversion, when the true message is proclaimed, and God, according to his sovereign decree, will save someone in that moment of time, conversion is conveyed in the beautiful application of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3. Take a look at it. Verse 6. For God, who said... Light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory, the glory of God in the face of Christ. On the first day of creation, the universe was draped in darkness until God called light into existence. Let there be and there had to be light. And then he applies this text to God's new creation work in Jesus Christ. God shines, that is, in the darkness that shrouds the hearts of all sinners, showing them now the glory of God in Christ Jesus. This verse was also picked up on the messianic text of Isaiah 9, verse 2. Listen to it. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. So do not lose heart. Amen? Do not lose heart. It is God who turns on the lights. And only he can turn the light on. Do we see this, beloved? Only he can do it. One preacher put it like this. Go on about your day. Go on about your ministry. Pray, serve, witness, preach, teach, do it all, but guess what? You will never be able to find the light switch. Never. God never said that part of our call and part of our ministry is to find the light switch so don't lose heart. Pray for the lost, keep declaring the message, the true message, but only he can say, let there be light. You could preach it a thousand times and there's no light. And in time 1001, boom, the lights go on. When he says, let there be, the veil must lift. When he says, let there be, darkness must be expelled. Enabling them to see the light of Jesus Christ, the result of which... For them, as it was for us, Jesus looks completely different to them. Too marvelous for words. So don't change the message. Don't water it down like the super apostles did. Because only Almighty God can overrule the blinding effect of the God of this age. The only one. And every time he's determined to do so, for everyone he is determined to do it for, 
In a moment of time, it'll happen. We just don't know when the time is and we don't know where the light switch is. So don't lose heart. Paul didn't lose heart. So let us all be grounded, beloved, in these reasons for not losing heart, for not losing hope, as you set forth Jesus Christ to family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, know this, every morning you will receive new mercies to get up and do it again. To close, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be, which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. So, as the same sun that melts the wax also hardens the clay, likewise, the same word of God that softens hearts to trust in Jesus Christ also hardens hearts in their present unbelief. And oh, by the grace of God, may you be the former and not the latter. Come unto me, all you who are all you who labor and are heavy laden, Jesus said, and I will give you rest. And I pray that the Holy Spirit, if that's you, today has lifted the veil. For the rest of you, don't lose heart. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these sobering texts. Um, sanctify us, Lord. Strengthen us. Renew us. Impart to us new mercies today to continue on, uh, to be faithful to the new ministry call for the glory of the name of all names, your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.